Thank you, Lynn, for leading us, and welcome back again. So last night, if you were here, we learned about identity and finding our identity in things that are eternal and not external, which I love that uh, phrasing, and so I hope that that sticks in your mind. And so tonight, uh, Dave is going to build on that as he uh, talks about restorative justice. And so Dave, if you'll come over, let me pray for you, and we'll turn it over to you. Father God, thank you again uh, for Brother Dave. Thank you for letting him enjoy his day and be here together with us again tonight. I pray you'd bless him. Help us to hear what we need to hear, not maybe what we want to hear, but what we need to hear from your word. And may it be truth uh, that that comes from your mouth uh, through Dave to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good evening. You know, it was pretty tough to come, you know, knowing that my gators are so close to beating Bama right now. I don't know where they're at right now, but hey, <laughs> hoping for the gators. Go gators. I don't know if you're gator in here, but uh, I am. <laughs> so I had a, quite an interesting night last night, and I uh, just wanted to share with you guys what happened. <laughs> By the way, this has nothing to do with the message. I just, just wanted to tell you that. Um, so we were getting back last night, and uh, well, let me back up. And we were staying at a hotel down the street. I'm not going to put them on blast, but a hotel down the street. And um, as we go there, we, we specifically told them non-smoking. So we went up to one of the floors that they gave us, and we, as soon as we walked on the floor, we, we saw that there were fans that were on the ground. It looked like if the, water, like if the floor was wet. And uh, we walked up into the room, and... I said, man, you smell that? Yeah, it smelled like mold. So I said, and I immediately, because my wife has sensitive, sensitive allergies, and so does my son, they immediately start sneezing. I was like, okay, this ain't going to work. So I went back downstairs. I said, hey, is it possible for you to change our rooms and maybe change to another floor? They're like, sure, sure, okay. So we get on the second floor, and we go up in there, and everything's smelling pretty good. Smelling pretty good. I was like, okay, this might work. This might work. We go in the room. Everything's fine. Everything's good. All right, so fast forward to after the message last night. And so we're going back to the room, and, uh, and, uh, and my, my son walks in, and he says, Hey, Dad, there's some ants over there. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, all right, ants. Okay, and then he gets in the bed, and we, always, we, get, we get ready for bed, and he gets in the bed, and he, he, starts, he starts scratching. <laughs> oh, Okay. Like, what is that? So you start scratching. And then I get in the bed, and I was like, uh, I start scratching. I'm like, oh, boy. Don't tell me we've got bed bugs up in here. <laughs> so I don't know if it was my mind playing tricks on me or what it was. I was like, man, I'm itching. The son says, yeah, I'm itching too. Wow. So I said, you know what? This ain't going to work. We're just going to just have to get out of here. So I go down there, and, and it's funny because we went out to eat with, with Pastor Sean last night, and he said, hey, have you tried to have you looked at these hotels over here? I'm like, you know what? I, I, I'm thinking in my head, you know, I, I think we just might. So we call them up. Now, keep in mind, it's about 1130 now, right? Keep in mind that. And so we're over there, and we're on our phones, and we go into one of the hotel rooms, uh, the hotel's lobby, and they said, you know, 
it's cheaper if you, if you, uh, you know, if you go online and you book it through online. So I said, okay. We go online and, you know, it's pretty much the same type of prices. But the funny thing is that we're in there in the car looking, scanning. It's 11.30, 11.45. Emmanuel's saying, Daddy, I'm tired. I'm tired, Daddy. And we're up there and we're just scrolling. I was like, yeah, I'm tired too, pal. I was like, you know what? Let's just bite the bullet. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and go to this hotel. When we go upstairs, everything is great. This is, I was like, yes. This is the type of hotel we should have been in. We get upstairs, and as we're going in, we see these nice beds. I was like, yeah, this is the place to be. And then Emmanuel comes over to me and said, Daddy, are we supposed to see beetles in here? <laughs> I said, beetles? It's like, what does it look like? Like, well, it has two antennas. I said, I don't think that's a beetle. <laughs> so I looked over. I said, where did you see it? I said, son, stop, stop playing games with me. I was like, come on. It's midnight. I'm about to go to sleep. I'm like, daddy, I'm not playing games. I saw a beetle over there. I go, and sure enough, I saw a roach. <laughs> but I said, you know what? We're staying here. We're not going anywhere. And you know what? It was a great sleep. And whether that roach crawled on me last night or not, it doesn't matter. It was a great sleep. And we are having a good time. They had a great breakfast in the morning. I was like, this is the place to be. This is the right place. Okay. So on to the message. Just wanted to share that with you all. I just thought it was. We we were laughing at it, but uh, (laughs) kind of crazy. All right. So I wanted to talk to you all today about restorative justice. Yesterday, as, as, as Pastor Sean said, we were talking about identity crisis, and, uh, and many people, I believe, in our society suffer with that, um, not necessarily, you know, necessarily knowing, you know, ethnically or culturally, but knowing, but really not knowing who they are in Christ, and I believe that us as a church, is, is, it, it's our duty to, to, to not only lead by example, but also to be able to tell people who they truly are if they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Today, I just want to talk a little bit about justice. What is justice? When, when, you, when, when you look at TV and you look at what's going on this past couple of years with the whole Black Lives Matter and all of these people breaking into stores and just doing these, these crazy things um, on TV, and we see that these protests, some peaceful and some not so peaceful, and because people are angry and they got this rage and all this rage that's coming. Where's all this stemming from? You know, where, where, where does all this come from? So when people see these types of things, the first thing that they're probably thinking in terms of the way that the world defines justice is that it's more corrective, corrective. Corrective justice is there to be almost like punitive and, and, and really get on people and really make sure that, that, that justice is done. We have that that mentality of that eye for eye type of mentality, you know, because this person has wronged us, because they've done this, then they should be punished. And so we should go after them. And if the justice system can't handle this, then maybe we should handle this ourselves. And so we've gotten to a point where we've really grown a society where people are not allowing for the law to handle things. They want to take things into their matters in their own hands, and they want to do things that are not of God. And so it brings division continues to bring division. So let's be real for a second. If, if we look at the stuff on TV, it really should sadden us. It should sadden us as the body of Christ. It should sadden us for the fact that these things are going on, that our country is so divided. Um, 
we haven't had a lot of that in a while, but the media is really, at that time, was really boosting that and showing different people getting into all these types of rage modes and doing some ungodly things, and it's just stuff that makes people angry. And, and that's really what you see. You see people getting angry from all walks of life, all ethnicities, all cultures. They're all getting angry. But I think that this would really sadden the Father. You know, I, I know that this saddens the Father. It has to sadden the Father because it saddens us. And I know that if it saddens us, think about how our Heavenly Father is probably viewing all of this. So I believe that in order to understand justice, we have to look at justice from a different perspective. If we, as people of God, trust in the Word of God to guide us, to direct us, then it's only fitting that we go back to the Word of God to find out what justice actually is. So when I look at justice, I think we have to come to an understanding first that the Bible says that we are to treat people with a certain type of dignity and respect, which stems from the Word of God and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. With that being said, if we can come to that understanding, then we can define justice. So first of all, we got to go back to what I said yesterday of Adam and Eve. For the fact that all men and women, mankind is created in the image of God. And if we are created in the image of God, then that means that we have his characteristics that are in us. We have his likeness. We have his personalities that are in us. We have his righteousness that's downloaded in us. But, of course, when man sinned, then that kind of puts a damping on things. It doesn't mean that we lost the image of God on us. The image of God is still on us. It's just that we have this sin that also comes along with it. So with that being said, if we have that understanding that we all men, all women, are created in the image of God, then that means that, there's, that, that everybody needs to be treated with fairness and justice. So the Bible, in the Bible, righteousness refers to a state of moral good in which you treat those around you with decency and fairness, recognizing that all of them are made in the image of God. So biblical justice, if you look at biblical justice, it's a real simple term. It means to make right. That which is wrong is to make right. And if you look at justice deeply, it's really a relational term. It's actually meaning that all people are in right relationship with God and with people. So if, with that being said, then that means that as God is just and loving... We are also called to do justice and to live in love. So what would happen if all people actually went with those types of standards? If all people, regardless of, of the anger and rage that, 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 that's brewing, if we actually uh, went with proper fellowship with God and with mankind, how would that look? We would have justice that restores people back to their neighbors back to their family members, and back to their friends. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my siblings. I'm one of three, the last of three. So I have my brother who is 10 years older than me, 
and my sister that's 12 years older than me. So I remember asking my dad, I said, Dad, I noticed that there's a big gap between uh, my, my brother and sister and I. Was, did you guys, you guys plan me? He's like, well, son, well, you were a surprise to me. <laughs> so looking at my wife, if you look at on her side, she comes from a family of 13. And uh, totally, I'm a small family. She's a huge family. She grew up with seven. And she's probably more towards the top of the seven. Everybody's, a, you, met, you know, everybody's probably one couple years um, apart from each other. So I say all that because at the church that I used to go to before I came to Faith Christian Fellowship, it was a very huge church. And I served in the videography department. I was doing camera work and I was doing a lot of things like that. And um, I remember that I was served with this great woman of God. Every time I used to talk to her, she always had encouraging words. She would always pour into me. She always had a word from God, and it was just such a blessing to be around her. But I remember one time we were talking about siblings, and I asked her, I said, well, how many siblings do you have? I said, oh, I have about three or four. And uh, she said, but I don't, I don't talk to them. I was like, what do you mean you don't talk to them? I was like, I haven't talked to my brothers and sisters in like six years. Wow. Now, as angry as I may get with, with my brother and sister, I don't think I could cut them off for six years. And I just, you, you know, we, 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 we agree to disagree, but I love them. And, and I would always want to come back to them. And I asked them, I said, so, so what could you possibly be talking about? Or what could you possibly would separate y'all for so long? You know, she couldn't even remember. That's how long it was. And she couldn't remember what they were fighting over. And I was like, man, Lord. Wow. So the Bible uses restorative justice in a way in which those who are hurt and wronged are restored and given back what was taken from them. We are to live our lives in a selfless way in which people do everything that they can to ensure that others are treated with sane, with treated with, in, treated with injustices that are fixed. Turn with me in your Bibles real quick to Genesis 45, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to talk briefly here about Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph. Now, I'm sure that as you guys are turning, now I'm sure that we all know the story of Joseph, and it was given, you know, we all know that Joseph was given those dreams, and, um, which foreshadowed the future. God had given to them, but he had some brothers. <laughs> he had some brothers that couldn't stand him. And, uh, you know, Joseph was an interesting character because I would have to think that he knew that some of the things he was saying was probably getting underneath his brother's skin. Um, but he would say things of what God put on his heart to say, and, <laughs> and his brothers are like, oh, there goes that dreamer again. And, you know, there he goes talking noise about us again. Talking about we have to bow down to him, so that probably would, probably would put fuel in the fire, I would think. So, anyway, Genesis 45, verses 1 through 14. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out. So, we already had gotten past that point. That point. We are now where Joseph is second in command in, in Egypt, and so now he's about to confront his brothers he cried out, have everyone, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. 
And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had, heard, when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. In the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who had sent me here, but God. He made me, he, he made me father to Pharaoh and lord to his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in a region of, of Goshen and be near to me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and, 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 all, and all that you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you are, otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the, honor, all the honor accorded to me in Egypt, about everything you've seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed his, his, his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. So a few points that I want to get from that, which I believe applies to restorative justice and how I believe that it's going to help uh, us as believers as, as, we, as we walk forward in this life. First of all, point number one, the practice of meekness. So when you hear the word meekness, the first thing that's to drop, that should jump out at you is the Beatitudes. And so in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So when you think about meekness and what the word meekness actually means, it's actually strength under God's control. Meekness is humility towards God and towards others. It is having the right or the power to do something, but refraining from, refraining from the benefit of someone else. Strength under God's control. Meek men and women of the Bible demonstrated firm Resolve, courage, conviction, and strength. And this requires speaking out against immoral and wicked behaviors. So Joseph had the power to be punitive towards his brothers. I mean, if you think about it, the way that you read the scripture, it doesn't seem like if Joseph's brothers had any likeness for him. They probably hated him to the point where they were either going to kill him and they ended up you know, sending him off to slavery. They had no love for him. And he had the power, now that he was the man in charge, to actually be punitive and really take matters in his own hands and get, and get back what he, what he believed belonged to him. But this is why I believe that Joseph practiced meekness. He had the power to do what, what he didn't do, but he didn't look at the past mistakes because he looked at the whole picture, 
the big picture and recognize that this was not about him, but it was about preserving a nation. So how does that affect the way that we look at society today? And I believe that it definitely has a purpose with justice. I think sometimes that people get misled because of things that are happening in life and things that are passed down from generation to generation. And so they take, so so they come into a situation with anger and rage about certain people, certain things, and they really have no understanding of what is going on. The Bible says that we, again, are transformed by the way we think. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. There are a lot of misdeeds that have occurred in everyone's lifetime. And the misdeeds that we are seeing in society and what we see with people being angry are years and years and generations of generations of, 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 of anger and rage passed down from generation to generation. We don't teach race issues to our son. If you ever want to see what good relationships between races are, just look at children. Look at children between the ages of when they could start walking to about eight, nine, ten years old. And what you would see is them getting along and playing. They don't care who you are. I mean, my son, he, he, he wants to play with adults. It doesn't really, really matter who you are. He just wants to play with somebody. And um, when you see them playing with each other, you just say, man, that's what, that's what society is supposed to be like. It has to, it has to, it has to start with our children. So we, we don't teach our son, don't go with this person or don't go with that person because of the way they look or that. Now, we do teach him about history because my son does have to understand history. But I also teach him the fact that we must walk in love and we must treat our brothers and sisters and our neighbors with love, not with holding on to the past and what happened to people prior to us, prior to what has happened. We can't keep dwelling on that because, again, we are one race. We are the human race. So not only does this age group not see color or differences, but they don't know too much about our past unless it's taught to them. So as a school administrator, I see a lot of things. Uh, Right now, I'm at a different elementary school. My first elementary school that I was an administrator at, um, it was 65% African American. And I would say about 20% Hispanic. And then the rest, everything else. And so I would get a lot of African-American children, black children coming into, into my office for doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And it really saddened me when I would hear some of the things that they would say that would come out of their mouths. Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about five and six and seven-year-old kids. And they would say things to me like, I can't stand that teacher. Well, why can't you stand that teacher? Well, you know these white people. Excuse me? Where did you hear that from? Um, I, I just heard it. No, 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 no. Where did you hear that from? Did you hear that from TV? Did you hear it from home? Where did you hear that from? Well, my mom was always be talking about them. I'm like, hold up a second now. Do you have any experiences with them? Have you, have you, have you, do you, do you, do you know them? Do you know any of them? 
Well, it ain't about that. It's about what my mama said. And my mama always says, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, ooh, time out. That's the problem right there. You see, because racism isn't something that comes when you're born. Racism is something that's learned. And so it, it just saddened me that I would, I would hear these type of things, and 10 times out of 10, it would be a young person, and they would hear it coming from the parents or from, some, or from a relative or from an uncle or from an aunt, and they would share their views, but they don't even know what they're talking about. So sometimes I would hear things that my son would come home and tell me, and he would say things like, well, Dad, uh, I want to go to this party. This is when he was in preschool now. Dad, I want to go to this party. Um, but my friend tells me that I can't come to it. I said, why not, son? He's like, because she said that her parents don't want any black kids in the house. I said, oh, okay. And um, so I had to explain. explain and he's like, Dad, why is that? And it's kind of hard to explain that to a three-year-old. Um, but that is the reality of the situation. But I think, again, everything comes back to the fact that we have to teach. It's important to teach history, but it's not important to teach hate. It's not important to teach rage or anger. Whatever happened in the past should stay in the past. You can't do what's in the past. In order to, you, 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 can't, you can't hold on to the past in order to move forward. In order to move forward, you have to put the past in the past and say today is a new day. And I'm going to teach my kid how to love and how to do what Christ says that we are to do. Amen. Point number two, restoring relationships. How many of you all know that there's death and life in the power of the tongue? What we say (laughs) is so crucial. Relationships can be a difficult thing. And I'm, t- I'm not talking about really, I'm talking about relationships with everyone. It could be a difficult thing. Relationships can sometimes be a, d- a disappointment. Sometimes you can be hurt from relationships. There can be, you can have hurt relationships through misunderstandings. And uh, I don't know about you all, but that's happened pretty much a lot throughout my life. I guess if you want to make relationships right, you just have to do one thing, and that's just to take people out of the equation. <laughs> if you take people out of the equation, then I think relationships would be awesome. <laughs> Joseph immediately wanted to restore what was not there. His brothers could care less about him. And his brothers were scared because once he revealed them, they're like, oh, no. He's the big man now, and he's really about to wreak havoc on us. I mean, we tried to kill him, and we, then we sold him into slavery. But how many of you all know that the Lord wants to restore healing to our relationships? Jesus was all about restoration of relationships. Because of the injustices of humanity, people are outraged with how people are treated. With all this anger and rage, we need Christ's love and his peace to rest on all people to mend broken hearts. Thank God that Jesus paid the ultimate price for all injustices. Many relationships stay broken for years because of an unwillingness to express apology and forgiveness, to move on. 
So how do we as a church, how do we as a church help to restore relationships? How do we as people of God show the way of how relationships should actually be? Well, I think everything, as Joseph said, has to come back down to what the big picture is. What is the big picture? Joseph recognized an important reason behind why he was unfairly treated. He recognized that his life was bigger than his own. That there was a reason for things that were happening to him. And as a result, he trusted in the Lord. We have to be willing to have an eternal perspective in all situations. Joseph explained to his brothers that what was meant for my bad is is meant for your good. It was all a part of his plan. Joseph had the power to avenge his misfortunes, but looked at the bigger picture. God's plan of with with a redemptive heart. In practicing restorative justice, what is the bigger picture? I believe the bigger and ultimate goal is what the great commission is for all people to have an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. And that happens through showing people love, the love of Christ, through a restorative type of justice. The church has been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have received peace in our hearts. So since we have been reconciled to God, we have the model of reconciliation we can serve with the model of reconciliation. We can serve all of humanity with brotherly love and peace. We want people to look at the church to show how society is supposed to act, how God's hands are supposed to be on, we, we, we are supposed to be on us with love and respect for one another. Yesterday, I shared with you all a little bit about 9-11 and about the unity that Americans had and then how now 20 years later it's, it's, we're even more divided than we've ever been. But what I want to take from that is the fact, I'm going to reiterate this, is the fact that people during that time looked to God. They looked to the church for answers and for peace and for restoration. And I believe that in this time, with everything that is going on in our society now, that we still, as a church, have to be the model. And we have to be who people look to in order for them to understand what it is truly means to love your brother and to love your sister. Point number three, and I love this part, sustaining each other. In verse 11, it said, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. So some versions say I will provide for you. Some versions say I will sustain you. He was to sustain his brothers. What does that mean for us to sustain each other? What does that mean to sustain Sustain means to strengthen or support physically, someone physically, mentally, and emotionally. To uphold is to support. The Bible says in Isaiah 46 that God will sustain us. That means that in fear and in anxiety this life brings us, God says that he, 
that we need to lean on him. Now, how can we, now, can we do that as brothers and sisters? Can we, can we have that type of a mindset where we are here to sustain our brothers and sisters? Can we forgive and be reconciled to one another in order to sustain each other? Sustaining will also make us take the, responsi- the responsibility of the burdens that our brothers and sisters face. Galatians 6 Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and what? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. So looking at the bigger picture with all these societal situations, having a heart to sustain one another means that we have to be a part of the stand for vulnerable, for the vulnerable, and being a part of, a ch- of changing societal injustices. We have to be willing to stand with people where wrong has been has committed. And we as the church, this, this is what the word of God says. We have to be able to carry each other's burdens so that we can fulfill the law of Christ. We have to be able to stand for righteousness. We have to be able to stand for, what, for, for, for holding up our brothers and sisters and being there for them. So just to kind of recap what I've said so far, we have to be able to first have the mindset to practice meekness. And practice meekness means that the past must stay in the past. We must be able to educate about the future. We must be able to educate about the past, excuse me, educate about the past, but we can't use that as a way to keep us from being unified with people. We have to be able to have that meekness and to have that resolve to know that we could come together and we need to be able to train our children, train our children on what it means to love and what it means to be an encourager and what it means to, 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 to be a follower of Christ and to love one another. Second, we have to be able to be a part of the restoration of relationships. How do we do that? by being the model, showing people that in the church, when you come to our church, this is how you are to, this is how you are to act. Go out in the community as you guys do outreaches and you, you guys are in the community and you're helping with other things that are going on in society, you show them the love of Christ. And it doesn't matter who they are. We show them, we show them the love of Christ. And third, when injustices happen, it's very crucial for us to be able to stand for what is right. You know, there's a word, there's a word in Scripture that, you know, that just says stand. Stand. And, and it, sometimes it's just being present that makes all of, of, of the difference. Sometimes you don't even have to say a word. It's just being there, just being present and being able to stand. When people see you, they would be like, okay, they're standing for righteousness. I love what 
Pastor Sean had told me, he told me this last night. He said that currently he's meeting with other pastors in the community of different ethnicities. And they're coming together and they're breaking bread together and they're coming together just to talk about how can we encourage one another? How can we be more effective with one another? How can we stand united with one another? And I believe that that is the key. When you got the spiritual head of this house that is doing that, that that is, that is crucial. So if, if with restorative divine justice, the key that I want us to take from this is that we as a church have to be the model because the world out there who's lost, they don't know any better. And so when we are going out there and we are, and, 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 and we are with them and, 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 we, and, and they are trying to go down a wrong path, we have to be there to model what the love of Christ and what the love of Jesus is, what the love of Jesus and what the love of our God is. The fact that we have this peace and that you also need this peace. Amen? Amen. Father God, Lord, I just thank you for today, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, for this restorative justice that you have for us, Lord God. We know that there's a lot of injustices done in society. And oftentimes, the church and people of the church, they ask, what should we do? Well, what can we do, Father? And Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, for for, for, for impressing upon us today, Father God, the importance of just being able to be present in situations and to encourage and sustain our brothers that are out there, our brothers and sisters out there, Father. I pray, Lord God, that, 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 that this message, Father God, will, will, will be upon everybody's hearts and the minds, Father God, and something that they can take with them, Lord God, as we move forward in restoring this country that is so divided, Father. Father God, I ask, Father God, for you to give all people here strength, Lord God, And I pray for a blessing on everyone here tonight, Father God, and those who are listening, Father. We ask, Father God, that you continue to encourage us, Lord God, and show yourself strong in us, Father, as we walk and be your hands and feet, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.